I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Chris Grenzig. Chris is the founder of JAG Communities and JAG Capital Partners, a vertically integrated multifamily advisory uh, investing firm based in Jacksonville, Florida. Chris, thanks for coming on the show today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, bud. Yeah. And uh, I would just love it if you, your bio is very interesting. And and as I mentioned before we start recording, I've heard you on other podcasts. I think your your story is is a really cool one and and helpful to other people. So um, if you would maybe just dive into your background a little bit, and then we can kind of take it from there. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, uh, I'll go back, keep it quick and then you know spend a little more time on the the real estate side of things but i am from long island new york born and raised i graduated from hofstra which is on long island uh in 2014 uh played soccer there division one then coached division two for a couple years just bouncing around realized wasn't really for me and was looking for something else so i got my first quote-unquote real job as a cold caller for a stock brokerage company. And it was terrible, but cool at the same time because it opened my eyes up to the business world, to investing. Uh, and I learned a lot of stuff. I got licensed. I got my Series 7 and 63 in January of 2016. And as I got licensed or as I was you know, getting licensed, um, I kind of really got exposed to the industry and it just wasn't really what I was about. It was very much the focus was all about how much commissions you would make and you, they didn't really care if people made money or lost money. So I was like, that's dumb. That's not how you treat people and just didn't feel comfortable doing it. Besides the fact that, you know, you got to make four or five, 600 calls a day, work 10 plus hours a day. Um, so as, as I got licensed, was looking for the next thing to do and was very fortunate that my mom and my cousin had decided to buy a single family flipping course. I tagged along with that for their weekend immersion seminar uh, and was hooked. That was knew nothing about real estate before that. So completely brand new. Uh, my only exposure was I rented a house for one year or two years. That was it. Um, started trying to flip in Long Island for you know nights and weekends for several months failed, never put anything under contract, really offered on stuff, but it never worked and just kind of hit roadblock after roadblock, uh, decided for various re- various reasons we were going to pivot, started looking at out-of-state stuff, um, lent a little bit of money to try to get our foot in the door. But through that, we met John Cohen, who is one of the co-owners at Toro, where I worked previous to forming JAG, uh, without jumping ahead, but met John he was going to show us how to buy taxis in Philly. We didn't really love that. And he was doing multifamily. He had transitioned over to that. Uh, he was doing small multifamily and was in the process of transitioning into larger assets at Toro. And we kind of prolonged his stay in the smaller stuff by partnering on, you know, hundred plus units across several properties 
uh, out of New York in Kentucky and Florida. While we were doing some of that stuff, John and I happened to be sitting down one day, a lot of similar stories, a lot of, you know, stuff going back and forth and it resulted in uh, them basically offering me a short trial to come over and work for Toro on a full-time basis. Uh, so I said, yes, went over there, took a pay cut. They kind of coached me up. Uh, three months turned into a little over four years. Uh, it turned into basically growing and running the entire Florida region of their portfolio. So while I was there, we bought 4,000 units worth around $300 million worth at acquisition uh, across 23 properties. Seven of those properties were in Jacksonville, Florida, totaling about 1,000 units and 60, 70 million at acquisition. Uh, we went full cycle on two of the ones in Florida and seven across the portfolio. So I got to see it, you know, uh, underwrite, buy, go under contract, asset management, and, you know, eventually sell uh, most of them, all of them for profit. I think only one of the seven kind of underperformed. Um, so it was really cool to see. Uh, but early 2020, uh, I had, you know, Toro done a good bit of business. I would get commissions and profits and, you know, percentages and stuff. So I was coming into a good bit of money and kind of got the first opportunity to buy a decent sized building for myself instead of rolling stuff in with Toro. And I was like, all right, let me, you know, let's go just buy something, no investors, full control, all that stuff. Um, talked to my parents too. And I was like, Hey, you know, would you guys want to like partner with me? Like instead of buying a, a five unit, we could buy a 15 or a 25 unit deal. And they were like, yeah, we're interested. Then COVID hit March, 2020, February, 2020, whatever it was, the world was kind of falling out or so we thought at least on the multifamily business side, I thought it was going to be 2008 reincarnate. I convinced my parents to put some real dollars aside to, you know, try to offer all cash on what I thought was going to be struggling small apartment complexes in Florida. Uh, the idea was buy something for 20, 30, 40 cents on the dollar, renovate it, lease it up, stabilize it, and then eventually refinance and have a great asset for you know no money out of pocket. That never really happened uh, if you've been following the market at all. However, in the middle of 2020, came across this 16-unit deal in Orange Park. Uh, which is a part of Jacksonville, just outside of it technically, but might as well be part of it. Toro had just bought a 117-unit deal around the corner, which I brought to the table and really, really liked. Almost the same floor plans, almost the same year built. So kind of like a copy and paste, just at a much smaller scale. So super compelling, put it under contract and kind of put it out there to my network and social media that we were going to be buying this property. And I probably had a few dozen people reach out to me and be like, was this mean? Are you leaving? Are you going off on your own? I was like, no, just find a deal. Like no big deal. However, kind of put the, the idea of it in my head. And you have to understand part of the context too, was I'm up in New York. New York is locked down. I moved from my apartment in Brooklyn, an hour and a half East to my mom's place, 55 and older community, gorgeous, brand new, but 55 and older community, living in mom's basement, going stir crazy, uh, but also a bunch of other reasons, decided I was going to leave Toro, move down to Jacksonville when we closed this deal, and I was going to build JAG being a vertically integrated company, which I had never done property management, never done construction management, but I decided that's what I was going to do. So move down, close that deal, and then uh, 
you know, had come up with the vision that we were going to scale to 500 million in assets under management, all vertically integrated within 10 years, uh, have somewhere between 60 and 100 people on payroll, uh, probably generate between five and eight million in annual revenue, um, and built out a whole year, 10 year plan. So we are about 14 months into that 10 year plan. Uh, we just closed our third deal for, you know, so we're up to 60 units now. Uh, we have two more deals under contract. One is a 12 unit existing deal. Uh, one is a hopefully 35 unit townhome new construction development deal, which is going to be super awesome. We're, we're trying to break into the development space uh, and got a couple other irons on the fire. So hopefully we'll have a few more by the end of the year. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so, I mean, really great uh, story. And it's, I'm always fascinated by it. every person I interview here. It's like they're, every piece along the way, everything that you do along the way, even the things that you didn't like, right? The cold calling and stuff like that, all of that I think contributes to, you know, each next step in that evolution, each each part of mm -hmm. your journey. And so I, I think, you know, when you worked for Toro, you, you took that sort of, as you said, you took a pay cut, that was kind of a way to, to get yourself in the door, right? Like mm -hmm. the, the people always talk about, it's either you have to have, what time or money. And so you kind of give something up to get into mm -hmm. the game. And so when you, when you made that step, when you, you did that, what, what was kind of your mindset at that point? What did you, what were you thinking? Were you thinking, oh, this is going to get me, you know, did you have that grand vision then? Or was that sort of like, oh, I just need to figure this thing out and get going. So it was at the time, you know, I was trying to leave in that job. I was desperate at that point. I had prolonged quitting uh, because I didn't have something else in place. And my mom was like, don't quit without another job lined up. She's like, that's the worst thing you can do. And I was like, okay. But I was at the point where I was about to be like, screw that. I'm done. I would rather sit at home and do nothing all day or try to do the real estate stuff than whatever. Um, I wasn't living at home. Uh, fortunately, I've always lived pretty cheap. So I was living in like a college house for 500 bucks a month with like a tiny crappy one bedroom to myself with shared bathroom, shared kitchen, all that stuff. Um, you know, they turned a three bedroom house into seven bedrooms. So, um, which, you know, 500 bucks in New York and Long Island is like, you know, it's tough to find. And it's, you know, it, it wasn't that bad, but it was not great either. So I was fortunate enough to be in a position that, you know, I could take a step back and kind of, you know, basically barely afford to live for a little while um, and just kind of see how it goes. Um, you know, so I just took it as like a, hey, I, I'd rather make less money now and not absolutely hate my life than, you know, let's try something new and, you know. I'm about to quit anyway. So the kind of, I looked at it, my worst case scenario is, um, you know, I don't make a ton of money and I just quit this in a month and, you know, whatever. So I, I figured it, it can't get too much worse. Um, so that's why I did it. And I thought, I really like the real estate stuff. I like working with John on some of these other things because we'd already started talking and working together. Um, and I just really thought it was going to go well overall. So, you know, I think I was making like 300 bucks a week for a few months and then I went up to 500 bucks a week for a few months. And then eventually, you know, went to a real salary and, you know, a real compensation. And then, you know, 
it went to good pay and then it went to, you know, really great pay where I was able to save up and, you know, I structured my compensation based on how much business we were doing and stuff. So the more business we did and, you know, the better the deals did, you know, the better I did. So it, was, it took a little while to get there, but I don't know. I, my whole journey is just kind of like, I'll just try stuff if I think it's going to work out. And if it doesn't, I feel like I can figure something else out. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And so when you went to Toro, were you sort of strictly focused on acquisitions or were you just kind of, I mean, I got, I got in there and they, it was strictly like, Hey, get educated and then do this grunt work. That was it. Then it was help us with uh, some like asset. Then early on, it was like strictly asset management stuff. So again, grunt work on like, you know, plugging in financials and rent rolls and putting stuff together to help them analyze and do investor relations and stuff. Um, What happened was one of the deals we did was down in Jacksonville outside of Toro. And my role was the asset management side for that. And what happened was because I was doing the asset management stuff and because John was one of the, the GPs on that with myself and, you know, my mom, my cousin and someone else, um, we would talk about it sometimes in the office and it wasn't a secret or anything like, you know, Don, John's partner knew about it. Um, but I kind of went to him when I said, guys, look, the, the deal's going well. Florida is a good place to be. Jacksonville's kind of under the radar. Like, I think we should look for more deals here. And they're like, okay. So that kind of started the, the acquisition side. And it really only happened because I went to them and said, what do you guys think? And, you know, lucky enough and to their credit, you know, they were like, okay, go for it. Like, you know, spend time doing it. Uh, you know, and that turned into, you know, a good amount of business for them, you know, a thousand units, basically, you know, 25% of their business while I was there that, you know, they may not have had otherwise. So, um, yeah, you know, just kind of took it upon myself to try new things. And I did that in a couple other avenues while we were there too. And, you know, paid off. So then, you know, kind of, being a part of different aspects there with them, I'm sure it was helpful then when you sort of decide to go off on your own and form JAG that you, you had seen, you know, if you had been solely an underwriter, solely, you know, asset management, it might've been hard to pick up on the acquisition side or whatever, whatever was missing, but um, I'm sure that helped you and prepared you for, for this step. So you, you talk about being vertically integrated and I, I think it's something that a lot, a lot of people bring up and in most often it's brought up in companies with like thousands of units under management. Mm-hmm. But I think, I, I think your idea of sort of starting that right from the beginning is actually a really good one, a really good concept. You sort of control everything. Was that, I mean, what, what were you, what was your thought process there when you decided to do that? Was it, Oh, I just, I'm going to self-manage these. And so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very, or was it like, this is how I see things going? I mean, there's several reasons. I'll, I'll touch on a few of the big ones. One, I had always, I guess this is kind of two, but one is I had felt a disconnect from my understanding of the operational side. Like I felt like I was so reliant on our property managers and a lot of times it worked, but sometimes they were wrong. And I was like, I don't, you know, I don't know. So I've got to rely on them. And in business, you're always going to have that. You're always going to have some sort of partners. It's, you can't have everything in house, right? That would be crazy. Or you'd have to be massive. And it's just like, 
right. whatever. So at some point you're going to have partners um, and you do have to rely on them. But for this, I was like, I don't know. And you know, there's a lot of companies that are vertically integrated. So I always thought for me, I was like, okay, the potent, you know, no, sorry, I'm skipping it. My knowledge would doing property management, overseeing construction would make me better looking at deals because I would have more intimate knowledge of how this works, how quickly it can happen, how much stuff actually costs, what are construction materials to look out for, how much does it cost to replace, all of that stuff. Two, um, a lot of times with our property managers, there was always some sort of disconnect, right? When you have two companies, they have different visions, different core values, different ways of doing things. You obviously want someone that closely aligns with what you're trying to do. And a property management company overall has the same goals as you do, um, but they're never perfectly aligned. And a, a way to actually illustrate that is there's kind of a funny saying is property managers don't want to be too good at their job and they don't want to be too bad at their job. Because if you're too good, the property does extremely well and the owner sells it. If you do too bad, you suck at your job and you get fired. That like the fact that whether, you know, like there's some truth in jest, right? The fact that a property manager might be thinking, hey, I don't want to do too good because then they're going to turn around and sell it and I'm going to be out of a job is asinine to me as the owner. Like I'm going to hire a partner that doesn't want to do their absolute best. Like that is kind of crazy when you break it down like that. Now, a lot of companies will say we don't do that and maybe they don't, right? But the fact that I have heard that from several different people and owners means that in and around the space, there is some truth to that. So it's like, okay, like that's just a perfect example of how it could be misaligned. But even like, you know, the way you do your weekly, quarterly, yearly reports, right? A property management company is going to have their way of doing things, but they're going to have several different clients. They can't come up with, you know, they can't take their owner's report and do their report seven different ways. They have to do their report the same way. And then if we have multiple property management companies, which we did, well, we've got multiple different types of reports coming in. And then we've got our reports we send out to investors. So we've got to take that info. Put it, it's just like, you know, it just adds extra things. So my thesis is that by being vertically integrated, the potential for increased operations and streamlining is higher than if you had a third-party property manager. You can be vertically integrated and still be really shitty at your job and you'd be better off with a third-party property manager. However, I think having it in-house gives a higher potential to perform better from top to bottom. Um, thirdly, um, I wanted to be in the market because I felt by targeting sub 100 unit properties and being in the market, I could move quicker on deals and it would be a better story, uh, especially for mom and pop owners who may or may not be local themselves. Um, and that is definitely proven to be true. I mean, you know, we've had a few deals already that we've won or been close to. And it's because I know people that are in the area and local or I networked with them while I'm here. And, you know, for me, deal sourcing has been huge and it's been almost entirely through networking, very, very little direct to owner, direct mail, stuff like that. I still try it here and there, but not at scale and not at the, 
the pace that I need to do. Um, basically, I'm hoping that when I think about it and I sit down and do it, that you know I'll get lucky. But I don't do it systematized or at scale. Um, you know, we've got you know 50, 60 million dollars worth of deals in our pipeline right now. We won't buy all of them by any means, but you know it, it's been pretty interesting to see how that's actually played out. So there's other reasons too, but you know I could do the whole podcast on them. So I won't yeah. do them all. I mean, those are some some really excellent points. And, and I agree with you. I think I mean, property management, I think is a, is a challenging thing because it, it gets, there's, I think a lot of uh, less than desirable property management companies that don't do a good job and they, they, you know, put a, put a bad name on the ones that do even. And, and it's, it's a valid point that they don't necessarily want to work themselves out of a job. So you, you could look at it from that standpoint, but I think what, what's really interesting to me about it is, is just the process, right? So you decide you're going to be vertically integrated, integrated, and you're, you're going to handle the property management. And I, and I, in my head, I, I sort of break it down into there's property management tenant side of things. And then there's the property management, which is like the construction side of things. Mm -hmm. And those are two, really different beasts. And personally, I love the construction side of things, but I don't like the tenant side of, you know, I don't want to specifically have to be screening tenants and things like that myself. So are you, are you doing all of that? How did you, what is your preference? How do you, how do you see that, you know, sort of working? So I have three people that work with me now, one of which is my fiance who's fairly recent, you know, last four or five weeks, but I also have a a uh, community manager and a maintenance supervisor. Uh, I did everything for the first December, January, February, March, four or five months, roughly. Um, I was fortunate enough that the second deal we closed on in February, 2021, I was able to interview and then hire both the manager and maintenance supervisor for those deals about a month or two afterwards. So that's why it's like about four or five months. Um, I, I couldn't afford it at the time. Um, and honestly, the second deal that I bought came too quickly, but both the deal and the two of them were opportunities that were too good to pass up. And I didn't come down here to be a property manager. So by being able to relieve that side of things early on has led me to be able to do other things as well as to, you know, they had worked on those properties for like, five and 10 years, the two of them having worked for at least five years together have built up some systems and ways of doing things. I was able to somewhat tap into their already established loose systems to help establish our own systems and ways of doing things. So it, there was a lot of different reasons for doing it. Uh, fortunately, I have not had to do as much of the uh, tenant property management stuff uh, especially in the last, I'll say four months, five months, I've really given them more of the reins and, re and really kind of stepped away. Um, the construction side of things, I have been doing mostly myself. The, the maintenance supervisor has been helping more recently, uh, but I will probably be hiring a project manager inside the next, you know, three to six months, if not sooner. Um, I'm not good at it just flat out, just not good at it. I kind of just do it through grit. 
um, I don't have the experience in it. Um, and I don't have enough time to really do it as well as it needs to be done. Fortunately, our, our first two deals are kind of done being renovated to a certain degree. So I can focus on the third and fourth deal. Um, but we'll need that. And as well, you know, I'm probably looking to hire a regional managers well here too, to even take a further step back from the property management side. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, did it for a little bit enough to get dirty. I'm kind of overseeing in the weeds a little bit more now. So like, even though I'm not necessarily doing a lot of things, I'm also making a lot of the decisions about like, you know, filing three day notices and seven day notices and evictions and dealing with tenant issues. And, you know, when emergencies come up, how do we handle it? So a lot of the high, you know, mid-level stuff I've now kind of been doing a lot of and not necessarily like leasing and showing units and stuff, which I did for a little bit and have now handed off. Um, you know, that's kind of been more what I'm doing. And then, you know, the goals within the next year to kind of hand that off to, especially if we, you know, close a couple of these deals we're working on. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's fantastic experience. I think it's going to serve me well for a really long time. I think it's something investors and partners will like too. Um, but it's not something I'm looking to be doing, you know, day to day, right. In my, in my 10 year vision breakout, you know, part of the thing that I did was I sat down and created a whole org chart. So for Jag communities, which is the property management construction management side, and for Jag capital partners, which is, you know, like the syndication side of everything. Um, the whole property management side, I will probably be like the quote unquote CEO, but I'll probably have a president or CEO or COO of the JAG community side, the JAG capital partner side, I will probably still be that COO president position of like day-to-day -day operational setting, you know, in there and helping out still overseeing, but, you know, being more involved in the day-to-day and removing myself a lot more on the property management side. So, um, you know, that's kind of what my vision is of it now. And you, I, I did want to ask you about that vision because it, it, it's very specific, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of what they tell you, like plan, make this plan this, and then implement. How did you, how did you come to that? I mean, how did you sort of decide, okay, I want, you know, $500 million assets in our management in a year or 10 years. Like, how did you get to that point where you decided that was, you know, sorry, where you wanted to go? So part of when I thought of the idea of like come down and vertical integration, you know, I immediately was like, is this even doable? Like, not only can I do it, but like, is, is it possible in the framework of itself? Right. So one of the things I looked up was, you know, I had focused on a hundred plus units for Toro. So like, I knew that market pretty well. I knew how many deals there were and, and stuff of that nature, but I was like, how many deals are out there sub hundred units that I would realistically buy? Cause there's parts of town. I just won't touch because I don't want to own or manage in those areas. And I did know to a certain degree that a lot of those sub hundred unit, 20, 50, 70 unit properties were in areas I didn't want to buy. So for me, it was, well, shit, is there even properties for me to buy in areas that I want to manage? Or am I going to have to bend or do something else? So you know, pull the list and scrape it and do all that stuff. And, you know, fortunately there's, you know, hundreds of deals that kind of fit the criteria I was looking for. 
and that's you know for the next three five seven years until we do eventually build up to the larger stuff so for me i was like okay if there's 200 properties and i'm buying four a year let's say and i need to do it for seven years that's 20 properties out of 150 i feel pretty good about that like that's enough for 200 right i don't need to buy every single deal that exists and that doesn't include right like duplexes quads six units you know that's not the the, the way uh jacksonville breaks it out is uh two to nine multifamily or 10 plus so there's like 150 of just 10 plus so like if you package up two six units next to each other you know that would qualify i wasn't even counting that so i was like okay there's enough stuff um and i bring that up because the second deal we bought was six quads that were all contiguous right next to each other for 24 units and it's an amazing deal um so like we can be creative like that too, where, you know, being out of state, maybe not, but be that as it may. Part of then that was like, okay, if there's even deals for us to do, which is good, there's enough to buy. Like, what's the goal? And I think part of the reason I really sat down and spent as much time as I did was I had listened to something and I have no idea what it was. Uh, but they pointed to some study as basically like if you blindfold people on like a, you know, a football field and they say walk from, you know, zero to hundred people just walk in like a 60 yard circle. And basically they're, you know, the, the extrapolation of that is like, if you don't, if you can't see where you're going, you're, you're doomed. Like you're never going to figure it out. And I had been very against future planning in the past and I kind of changed and I said, all right, let's, let's sit down and do it. Like, let's actually come up with a business plan. Like, how much is this going to make me? Like, how much am I going to have to do? What does this entail? You know, is the reward worth it? Like, I figured it was because this real estate investing game has been around for decades, if not centuries, in the same kind of structure that I'm working on. And people have done incredibly well on it. So, you know, in my head, I was like, this works, but like, does our specific kind of idea and plan work to a certain degree? And then, you know, with the caveat that I've always said that if in three years, I'm like, screw property management, I absolutely hate it. This is a waste of my time and I can make way more just outsourcing it. You know, that's up to me. Like, as long as I can live with it, you know, I don't really have to answer to anybody else on that yeah, you might have to work on raising money again, because it's you're shifting a lot of your focus and your business plan. But, you know, you can always pivot and caveat, but without that kind of that North Star and wherever you're going, it's pretty tough to know what you're shooting for. So I just came up with 500 million, and then just kind of backed into it. And so like, how much would I have to acquire every year to hit that target? Um, I also baked in a little wiggle room. And then I also said like, you know, we're realistically going to sell off, you know, especially if we're going to move up into 150 unit properties, good chance we sell off some or a lot of the smaller properties in five to seven years, um, you know, also baking in room, you know, for selling off properties. So over a 10 year period, it has us acquiring roughly $640 million worth of property, selling off roughly $100 million worth and having under management 540 million uh, by the end of year 10. Uh, but you know, it's in our first year, it was acquiring 5 million, uh, which we did 5.35 in like 13 months. So a little late, but a little extra. Uh, 8 million in year two, which with these two deals under contract, uh, we will surpass our year two mark. Um, 
we'll do about 9 million because it'll be about 7 to 8 million plus uh, just under 2 million. So anywhere from, you know, 8 to 10 million bucks, let's say. Um, really more 9 to 11, actually, now that I think about it. Um, year three is like 13. So it's anywhere from like a 35 to a 60% year over year increase. But it's, you know, like the, the thing you see where the tiny domino eventually knocks down the big domino. Our year 10 is acquiring $200 million worth of real estate. I mean, that's fantastic. I, I've, I've really never heard anyone spell it out that specific. Like everybody says, oh, I'm going to have my, you know, goals for the year. This is the plan. But I don't, I don't feel like I've heard anyone talk about this is what we're going to do over the next 10 years. And this is how, you know, this is how it's going to step up each year. So that's, that's pretty amazing. And I, I don't know, I feel as though it's very likely that you'll get there well before that, you know, it's nice to, to build in that cushion, but I think mm -hmm. it probably won't take you 10 years is my guess. <laughs> you'll, you'll start to ramp up quickly. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm working on like a $6 million deal too right now. So there's a chance we do that and then, you know, it kind of blows it out. Um, I mean, a part of me was like, you know, maybe I do a billion and that's like a real stretch, but it kind of like, I don't know. I was a little scared to do that. I was like 500 million feels like a stretch, but safe. Yeah. But now that I'm kind of like 14, 15 months into it or whatever it is, um, I feel like I probably did undershoot a touch. Um, but for me, it was like, okay, if we, if we on average increase, you know, our acquisitions 50% every year, that is, that's pretty achievable. So maybe I undersold myself a little bit, but, um, yeah, uh, it was, it was also for me too. Like, if that's what we did, like, it's going to be still really great and we're still going to do very well. And personally, I'll do really well. So it wasn't like I looked at it and was like, yeah, oh, this isn't enough or this isn't whatever. I was like, this is doable. And, you know, if we do even better, fantastic. So I don't know, maybe in another year, I'll adjust and, and, you know, double it or increase it or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, yes, it's a great goal. It's, it's, plenty i guess you know it's it's but it's um just the the way that you have it kind of structured and laid out in your mind is is really impressive and i i i think you know people can learn a lot from that that it's like okay here's the goals make them something that you think are that is achievable and then if you surpass that then great and you know there's things like there's your 10 year goal right well you're young you've well more than 10 years and <laughs> that you could go beyond that too so mm -hmm. it's like there's there's plenty more that could come but i i think it's just it's a very cool uh you know sort of process that people could could lay out mm -hmm. for themselves mm -hmm. um oh just real quick also part of why i didn't now that i remember part of why i didn't shoot higher was um you know when i backed i mean i took like assets acquired and like broke down roughly how many units it was, which I'm off by the way, because Florida has gone crazy on their valuation. <laughs> yeah. So like already within six months I was off. So I, you know, stuff like that happens. Um, but I like broke down like roughly how much, you know, revenue we'd make and acquisition dollars and, you know, promotes and all that stuff. But part of it was looking at, um, you know, cause something that holds you back with this is, you know, GP equity, right. You've got to, you know, have skin in the game unless, you know, you don't, which, but a lot, most investors want to see. And honestly, I want to have skin in the game, right? Like right. that's what makes it fun, right? When you, you know, not only make money on other people's money, you know, your own money, you put to work makes money. Like right. 
you know, I put 50 grand in a deal. Like I worked fucking hard for that 50 grand. I want to see it do well. Right. Right. You know, exactly. um, or if it's 150, you know, it, it doesn't matter how much it is. Like, you know, skin of the game's fun. Like that's, you know, this is, this is not meant for me yeah. to be boring. Like I like this stuff. Um, I didn't want to shoot too high uh, because then the GP equity, you know, already accumulative GP equity. I think I need like $24 million. I sure shit don't have $24 million. Um, so figuring out years kind of like six through 10 is still up in the air of how I'm going to do that and how it's going to look. Right. Um, I think with like refinances and sales, I think um, total at year 10 with like money back, it's only like 10 or 11. So I, I don't know if I'll have that much after 10 years, but I feel more confident in, in hitting that. Uh, and obviously if you, you know, double it, you're talking about, you know, 20 plus million and 50 million, you know, cumulative. So that was another reason why I kept it at the 500 was I felt that that might be a limiting factor and it'll change probably, but I'm not like super gung ho to be like, you know, crazy co GP stuff. So. Right. Right. Well, I mean, by no means do I think that 500 million assets under management is a small goal. So it's, it's, uh, it, I think it's, it's perfect. I think it's a, a, very very well laid out plan that i think mm. is achievable and especially when you sort of you know you sounds like you took into account all those factors and sort of brought them in as one and this this is what you think you can do and you know plans plans change over time and so however that works out i think will be great and i mm. think getting yourself vertically integrated right from the beginning is is also a great idea because mm. when you get to that level of assets under management that's that's when that's when people think Oh, that's when you you know sort of should be uh, vertically integrated. But it's if you are somewhere in the middle of that acquisition process, and then you're like, now I want to get vertically integrated. That's probably a lot harder to, to implement than it is if you just have it going right from the beginning. So yeah, um, I love the strategy. Yeah, I mean, you know, I also at Toro we used to basically like really talk ourselves down a lot more than we probably should like internally not even out loud i mean maybe to a certain degree out loud because we've done podcasts and stuff but we would always say like what the hell like what the hell do we do differently like what is especially like we say this all the time like if you're a syndicator and you buy a marketed deal you use a third-party property management company you use a mortgage broker and it like Yes, the $100,000 investor cannot go out and buy that 200 unit property by themselves. So you are giving a service, but like, what are you doing differently than, you know, the other syndicator right next to you? And then when you talk about like, why should you be the one buying this deal and somebody should invest with you? It's like really tough to justify the answer not being like, well, I offered the most. So I right. won that, you know, like right. yeah. at the end of the day, it's like, now you might say, oh, well, you know, everybody else is looking at spending this per door and we're going to spend more and we're going to bump rents accordingly. And there, you know, there's, there are answers to that question, but it, it, it you know, it's sometimes just a little tough to justify mm -hmm. coming down, being in the market, being vertically integrated. It's like, shit, that's, that's like a real competitive advantage. There's not a lot of people I'm competing against that necessarily have that right if if you're like you know i back into it too right like what is what is my if i'm the customer because i in theory could be like i i actually debated about doing more of a fund of funds thing like i was like oh, i'll just sit in new york 
and I'll just raise money to place in other people's deals because the, the Joe Schmo LP doesn't know what the hell they're looking at, but I do. So trust me, that was going to be it. But I was like, nah. Um, but for me, when I back into like, hey, if I'm the LP, what am I looking for? And I'm looking at a sea of, you know, potential people to invest in besides the deal itself, which I think is less important than the person running it. Like, how do I differentiate myself? Like that was a large part of coming down to like, I don't particularly enjoy managing properties. It is not a fun business. It's actually a very tiring business. It's actually inhibiting my ability to buy deals, you know, which in theory makes me make less, right? Like property management, you break even when you're vertically like that. I, I called, like I connected and called a ton of people, probably 20, 30, 40 property managers in varying degrees. And a lot of them said like, Hey, if they were owner operators, our property management just breaks even. So like you're running two businesses, one of which doesn't make you any money. Like you're not doing it for the profit. You're doing it for the control as well as it sets you apart. Um, and it was really visible to me when at Toro, we started exploring raising money from institutional partners, more family offices, private equity, hedge funds, et cetera. I would say at least 50%, if not more, their first question would be, hey, are you vertically integrated? Do you have property management in-house? If your answer was no, which ours was, come back to us when, it, when you are. It was a non-starter. And it makes sense, right? Because imagine you're a private equity shop with 500 million to deploy as equity. So in theory, you might be buying $1.5 billion worth of real estate with debt, right? Let's see even half, right? A billion dollars worth of real estate. You know, if you buy a billion dollars and you charge a 1% acquisition fee, that's $10 million. Why not just hire somebody that does what Toro does to go buy your own deals, hire the same 30 property, third-party property management companies, pay them, you know, pay the person $500,000 per year for the next five years. It's going to cost them two and a half million bucks instead of 10. They just, you know, increase their returns by seven and a half million bucks. It makes sense, right? When you're in-house and you're an owner-operator, especially if you're not a, you know, a third-party management company, which I have no intention of being, that, that group, that investor has no choice but to get in on the deals or to use your services as an operational person unless they invest alongside you. So just kind of all the things I've thought about as part of it as yeah. well. I mean, fantastic point. I I didn't uh, I wasn't aware that uh, you know the family offices and private equity groups want specifically to be vertically integrated. I've I know other people that you know have investors from those larger institutional type investors, and they're not or are not vertically integrated. But I I mean, it makes sense. Your points at, make make a lot. At of the sense. end of the day, it all depends, right? Like I said, fifty percent. Right. So you know, you yeah. talk to enough people, there are people that will do it. And we had raised institutional money on a couple of deals. So it's not like we didn't have it. Right. Um, but there was plenty of them that said no. And look, you know, we did not make a strong push into the space either. We kind of like dipped our toe in and see what would happen. So by all means, that number, that ratio could be different. Um, I'm by no means an expert. So if, you know, if anybody's listening, you're like, yo, you're wrong. Like I'll introduce you to 10 guys. Hey, please, I'll, I'll take the introductions. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, you know, in my experience, there was a lot of people that said no. And I can understand why when I start to back into like, 
what they could do alternatively. Like there's somebody like me that will gladly take 500 grand a year to go buy deals and hire Pegasus to go manage them. Well, I mean, and, and as you said, if, if 50% of them think that way, that's 50% of a tremendously large pool of investor capital. Oh, for sure. And so if you can set yourself apart to be, you know, s- someone that they're going to want to invest with, that's, mm-hmm. that's huge. That's huge. So I think it's, uh, it makes total sense. I mean, I, 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 I like all your points and I, I like the idea of being vertically integrated. I just, I just don't want to manage tenants directly. I don't want to <laughs> do the screening process. So I, it's like, like I said, I love construction. That part's fun, but the, yeah, the, the, you know, does this person qualify side of it is something definitely I would want to hire. Uh, even if the, you know, maybe they work for you, but someone else needs to be doing that process. Yeah, I hear you. And look, I think it's, you know, I'll, I'll grind for a while until I can kind of, you know, delegate and be less involved in the day-to-day and just more of like a you know an oversight role of like working on the pro you know like our systems our processes our way of doing stuff and you know trying to make things better while somebody else is really handling the more day-to-day stuff um but i'll grind for a few years like you know i had no problem you know i've been an athlete my whole life i'm used to you know, running sprints and doing laps and huffing and puffing. And you don't, you know, you don't touch a ball for months because you've got to get your fitness up. And then, you know, then you get to the fun stuff. Right. So for me, it's just kind of like, I don't know, I've been doing it my whole life. So. Yeah. Yeah. Fellow soccer player. I I like the, I like the soccer analogies that (laughs) those work well. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Well, Chris, let's, let's switch gears a little bit. Let me get to the section of the show where I get to ask you some questions um, specific to the show. Uh, First one is based on the name of the show being know your why, what is your why? What's, what's driving you to, you know, towards this massive level of success? Uh, It's really two things. One is as close to ultimate freedom as possible. I want to a certain degree, the ability to wake up every morning and be able to do what I want to do when I want to do it to a certain degree. You know, the idea of in 10 years being like, Hey, you know what? I'm done building a company. I want to sell it or, you know, slowly roll out with investors. You know, if that's what I want to do, fantastic. Uh, If I want to go on a vacation, fantastic. I mean, obviously I'm limited, right? I can't, you know, it'll be pretty tough to buy a hundred million dollar yacht at any point in my life. So, you know, there's some constraints there, but you know, that's kind of the main one of like within a certain realm of real realism, doing whatever it is I want at whatever point. Uh, the second one, and this kind of ties into the whole, you know, building a business and vertical integration and stuff is, uh, but a lot of friends and even my, you know, now fiance too, who have had really pretty crappy, if not outright shitty working situations. Um, whether it's low pay, low time off, just not really loving it and not really feeling like they have a lot of other options. Um, I just want to build something that people enjoy working at in one degree or another. And I think that how I want to do things would be pretty nice for people. And the challenge of building something like that is really intriguing. Um, 
and it's also too, if I can set an example for other, you know, business owners and stuff, hopefully it, it spreads beyond that too. Um, so for me, building that place for other people is a pretty big driver as well. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, creating a company that people want to work for is, uh, I mean, it's, it's very noble. It's also, I think pretty rare right now. There's not a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of people that sort of love going to work and, you know, they can see the shift in the job market and all of that. So, um, I think that's fantastic. Uh, second question for you, what is something about yourself that maybe isn't common knowledge? People don't, people don't know, um, you know, hobby, a special skill, something, something that isn't common knowledge, but I'll let the, let the listeners know you a little better. Uh, let me see. I mean, I, when I get this question, I'll mention it. Um, I'm a pretty big, uh, fiction reader really like, like, um, fantasy novels, like world building and stuff like that. So I've been reading a lot of, uh, Brandon Sanderson lately, me and my fiance, we've got probably like, I don't know, 15 books of his and we're trying to work through them, but some of them are just like three books into one. So it takes a while. Um, I don't know. That's usually the main one that I think of. There's not, you know, otherwise I'm not really that interesting to be perfectly honest. So, I mean, you, you also started out with being, you know, division one soccer player, which to me is a big deal. So I, I, I appreciate that, but, um, but cool. I mean that, yeah, the, gosh, I can't, I haven't gotten to read much in fiction in a long time, but I, I do, uh, I do miss reading a lot of Stephen King. That was always my thing when I was younger. I would yeah. probably read every Stephen King book for, I don't know, 10 years of my life or something like that. Yeah. I'll usually like for, you know, every few months I'll like bounce around to another thing to just kind of like escape. So, you know, I did 75 hard. I've, you know, I'll get into a video game or something. Um, I was playing uh, a few months ago. I got really into playing Catan for a little bit and, you know, bounce back and forth between I'll always kind of wrap in reading at some point. Like, so I don't know, there's always something that kind of comes up that I get into for a little while and then I kind of fade out and end up doing something else. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm in, in the middle of 75 hard right now. It takes nice. a lot of, uh, it, it's just a, it's a big commitment. It may, it's, I enjoy it actually, but it, yeah, it's a big commitment. Just making sure you sort of get all of the mm -hmm. <laughs> necessary requirements in each day. Um, yeah, I, uh, I did it around this time last year, I was one minute away from failing on like day 55. I had half, half my water bottle still left and I just happened to catch it right before the end of the, I know some people will do like, you know, before I go to bed or something, I always did, you know, through midnight was my thing. Yeah. Um, and I literally chugged it right before, and I was within a minute of almost busting. So yeah, it's yeah. fun. The water is the worst part to me. I do not like drinking this much water. It's like, I, my, my friends, like I have a couple of friends that are doing it as well. And it's like, I'm like, the rest of it is great. I like exercise. I like, like the rest of it is fine. It's all the water. That's the only part that I'm like, I wish this wasn't a part of it. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, uh, next question for you. When people hear this, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? How, how can they get in touch? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I would say two ways right now. We're in the middle of redoing our website. So kind of may or may not be up by the time this goes out. But uh, email is really good. Chris at jag-communities.com, J-A-G hyphen communities.com. 
Uh, if you want to check it out, that's also one of the websites. Uh, we'll have a Jag Capital one too. I don't have a domain yet for it, but um, best way, you know, just email me if that's, hey, want to pick your brain. If that's, hey, I'm interested in investing. If that's, hey, I'm, you know, need help for such and such. I mean, you know, for anything, hit me up. Um, I will do one thing. If anybody lists, I'm really intrigued. We didn't really touch on it, but I'm trying to learn more about buying existing businesses. If anybody is involved in that at all, or has specialty in it or knows somebody, um, hit me up, I'm trying to learn more about it. Um, or the other best way to get in touch with me is to just connect, follow whatever on social media. So the main ones are Instagram at Chris.Grenzig, LinkedIn, Chris Grenzig, but you know, I'm on Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, you know, all that stuff. Do you follow Cody Sanchez? Who is that? Cody Sanchez. I don't think so. You should check her out on Instagram. As far as buying existing businesses, that's her thing. And she puts out a ton of really good content. Cool. I'm going to do it right now. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. She's uh, it, it's She has courses and things like that you can get too. I, I haven't actually signed up for any of them yet, but but I... It's, Cody, it's C-O-D-Y? C-O-D-I-E. Cool. Oh, I think I recognize her actually, but I'm not following her. But I am now. She's uh, she's really, really a lot of good like, and she she focuses on buying existing businesses, but also um, a lot of her the way she has built her social media, like the way she has built things up, is actually she's got a lot of good actionable tips there. So it's good cool. good to check out for that. Um, anyway, final question is: What piece of advice would you give to someone who is getting started in real estate, trying to sort of build their portfolio, what advice would you give them to kind of find the success that you have? Uh, two things. I'll give two pieces of advice is one, if you're super new and you're trying to figure out what to do, um, look up the, the best way to do this and it's extensive. So, you know, it's not easy. Uh, look up five different asset classes, five different ways of getting into that asset class. So five different strategies and then, I'll say three to five pros and cons for each of them. Um, you'll have a, at least, you know, a couple dozen different ways of doing it, why each one's good and bad. And kind of as you kind of pick out those pros and cons, you will start to figure out what sounds good and what doesn't sound good. Um, you'll probably won't narrow it down to one. So you got to, you know, narrow it down. Uh, and then ultimately you just got to pick one and try it. Um, and you won't know until you, you try it. Uh, the way I liked to think about it, and it's you know partly what I did when I moved down is if you knew today that it was going to take you six weeks, six months of trying something and you knew it wasn't going to work out, you would start it now so that you were six months closer to figuring out what it was. But if you just kind of flounder around and try to figure it out more and just kind of put off the decision takes you an extra month to make the decision now instead of six months it's seven months so once you kind of get it down to a few and you're like ah, i'm not really sure just pick one and try it start going down the rabbit hole of that specific one and it's either going to work and then great or it's not going to work and it's still going to take you just as long to figure it out as if you started today or a month from now uh the second piece of advice would be if you kind of know what you're looking to do network with as many people that are doing exactly what you want to do. Uh, the real estate community and specifically the real estate investing community is fantastic in the 
abundance mindset type of things for the most part, you can go meet people that are doing exactly what you want to do. And they're not going to not share stuff because they're afraid you're going to buy a deal that they want. Yeah. They're not, they're not going to tee up a deal for you and make it super easy, but you know, they'll meet you. They'll talk with you. They'll do whatever because you know, somebody helped them and they want to help other people. So, you know, I've people, I've had people ask me like, Oh, I want to buy a uh, retail center in Georgia. I'm like, why are you talking to me? I know nothing about retail. I know nothing about Georgia. Go find somebody doing retail in Georgia. Um, I guarantee you'll find somebody that is actively buying and owning the types of deals you want to do. And you'll probably find at least one person that will sit down with you and help you on your journey. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome advice. I, I think that uh, you're 100% right that the real estate community is is very um, just, I guess, generous, generous in that mm-hmm. they're, you know, everybody seems very willing to help people. You, you have to be respectful of, of people's time, but it's, it's incredibly um, giving people want to give back. They want to share their knowledge and experience with others. So I, I agree with you hundred uh, percent. Well, Chris, this was great. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, I appreciate your time. And uh, with that, we'll, we'll go ahead and get checked out. Awesome. Thank you. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.